0: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina.
1: Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is Maya Feller, registered dietitian and nutritionist, and author of the book Eating from Our Roots. Thank you so much for being here this morning.
0: Good morning, Zerlina. It is fabulous to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: So, I do not cook. Everybody who listens to this show knows that about me. Um, In some ways, I feel like it's like a small feminist rebellion on my part. Like, I, you know, I was acculturated as sort of the expectation that if you are a good cook, then you can make a good wife. And then I rejected that. And so then I was like, I'm not going to cook. But then I, you know, when you live alone, you have to have some ability to be able to cook nutritious food. Talk a bit about the premise of this book, because I love it. It's like, making nutritious meals, but more than just like grilled chicken and vegetables, which is what I do when I'm trying to cook healthy. And that's just, that's the old way of doing it.
0: Yeah, 100%. Before I even dive into the book, I have to like say, listen, I fully hear you on like stepping back from the patriarchy and this idea that women are meant to be in the kitchen as a way of providing for whoever they're with. Um, So I fully respect that. I see where you're coming from. I hear you. I see you. Um, you know, with the book, what I was actually trying to do was turn on it's had this idea of how we kind of define and construct the word healthy. Uh, what I often see as a registered dietitian is that, you know, people think just like you said, healthy food is grilled chicken, brown rice and steamed broccoli. And then it's from this total Anglo-American, Anglo-European lens that leaves no space for any other flavors or actually any other like food components. And then what ends up happening, and I hear this from my patients all the time, is when they don't cook that grilled chicken and broccoli and brown rice, they feel all this shame around the food Mm. that they're consuming. And they're like, well, I didn't do it properly. You know, I'm not healthy. And I'm like, wait a second now. Just because you didn't have the grilled chicken and like a patient of mine the other day, they're from the Caribbean. They said, oh, listen, I had roti. And I was like, what was in your roti? They said, you know, chicken, chickpeas and potato. And I was like, those all sound like fantastic things to me. And the spices, I know we're talking coriander, cumin, curry, black pepper, ginger, garlic, onion. I was like, I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm. And they said, but, you know, that's not good for me. And I said, but tell me why it's not good for me. And who told you it wasn't good for you? And they couldn't give me an answer. Mm. And that was why I wrote this book, is because I realized we're all walking around with this wellness industrial complex on our back, making us feel terrible about our cultural foods and making us feel really bad when we're not on like a raw vegan diet.
1: No, it's, it's really so true. And there's so much content now, you know, with Instagram and TikTok um, from the wellness industrial complex, exactly what I would call it too, where it, I mean, there's a trend towards sort of this aesthetic of yes. um, health, right? So everything is white and marble colored or beige. And then yes. you have to have like, you know, your matcha tea um, in the morning. And th- th- there's just like one way to be healthy. And I hate that. <laughs> yep, I hate I'm that with because you. It, it totally is based, it, it is it is definitely a Eurocentric um, image that you you picture. And most of the people who are living that way are white um, also themselves. So talk a bit about the types of foods um, and recipes included in this book that expand the definition for all of us of what is actually healthy to eat. I mean, because it's really just like eating real food, not processed food that's in a box. <laughs>
0: Yes, so I mean, that's exactly right. I'm encouraging people to return to their kitchen. And I know that we're all overstretched, like the majority of this country has multiple jobs. And I know that people are trying to rub, you know, two pennies together to make it work. So I get that. And some folks are going to be like, hey, I cannot spend 30 minutes in my kitchen, right, much less five. So I hear that also. What I'm saying is when we carve out time, and it can be once a week that you're making a dish, right? For some of this intentional eating that's flavor-filled. You're gonna see dishes from Latin America and the Caribbean. My roots and my heritage is in the Creole-speaking Caribbean. So Haiti and then Trinidad and Tobago, you're gonna see recipes from there. Growing up, we spent a lot of time in Jamaica. Don't ask why. It's like, everyone's like, but y'all are not Jamaican. And I'm like, I know. but I'm not Jamaican <laughs> either, but
1: literally my favorite place. I, right. um, I, folks on the show might remember that all most of the trips I took before the pandemic, they were all to Jamaica. I just kept going back. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. I feel different when I'm there, and I, I don't believe that I am Jamaican at all.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, so that was really similar growing up. I spent a lot of time there. And so there are some recipes that are inspired from my time there. Um, I'm a dietitian, as I said, mm-hmm. and dietitians, we've been trained, Zerlina, to like cut out all the sugar, fat and salt. And I know that if we want people to actually eat food in their kitchen, they have to use those <laughs> exactly. ingredients in moderation. So I had to get some chefs to back me up and help me with the flavors. Um so we hit Thailand, we hit the Philippines, there's some flavors of the India. We also have some flavors that come from Europe. And it's interesting what we did in Europe is there, you know, I really wanted folks to understand that because of colonization and migration, there are flavors from the continent of Africa that actually show up all around the world in ways that we actually think of as like traditionally European, when in fact it's hints of flavors, textures, feelings from the continent. And so I tried to highlight kind of that migration of those spices into different spaces and what it looks like. Um, And then I was also really intentional. We do have some recipes from around the Mediterranean, but there's a good discussion on the fact that when we look at the Mediterranean, there are over 22 nations there. Mm. So it's not just France and Italy. And I also highlight that when we think of Italy and France, people are not thinking about pasta as Mediterranean food when in fact it actually is part of the Mediterranean pattern of eating. So I really take people, you know, on this culinary taste bud trip around the world and ask them to expand what they're consuming and shift that definition of healthy food is only this one way. And so, so what we... Oh yeah, go, yeah, go right. ahead.
1: Continue. No, no, so, no. no
0: yeah. So what we see when we're doing, you know, when we make that shift is that your plate, not only is it really your palate and plate, not only is it really wide, but you actually shift kind of what you are accepting when you eat your food, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're gonna go like some of the Thai food, we've got really interesting like rices and grains, and there's also some meat, some of the Filipino food, there's like very interesting animal proteins, And all of those things don't fit into our conventional definitions of healthy. However, when you look at chronic disease rates in these places, they're doing much better than we are in the U.S. Mm. So obviously, our recommendations (laughs) are making people afraid to eat. Right. So I'm saying eat the food because when you eat, you nourish yourself and then you actually end up eating food from the kitchen. It's,
1: it's such an important point um, about health outcomes all around the world. I mean, when you actually look at those stats, you're like, maybe I should be eating more things from other places. Um, one of the, the other things you said, it, you know, there's lots of folks that are too busy to cook or think that they, you know, don't have time to set aside to make a meal. But also, um, I'm speaking for myself here, like when a recipe starts with like cutting an onion, can't do it. I have a mental yeah. block. Um, can you talk about... Um, how accessible these recipes are for people who might be like me, where like if they see a recipe and the beginning is cutting an onion, they will not do it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So one of the first things that I always tell everyone is the recipe is the roadmap, right? You modify it to meet your individual needs. If cutting an onion is a barrier to cooking, then you purchase pre-cut onions, Mm -hmm. pre-cut onions or pre-cut onions. And they are no less, you know, there's, they're not inferior to an onion that you've cut yourself. Right. And I tell people that all the time, like this is a little bit of an aside, but like folks say, oh, I want a whole chicken. I'm like, well, buy a whole chicken already cooked. And they're like, no, I can't do that. I'm like, why not? It's a whole cooked chicken and that's what you want. So purchase it and eat it. And so I really believe that when you're coming at this book, if there's something that feels daunting, look for the alternative, look for what I refer to as the chef's helper and maybe bring someone into the kitchen for you. Maybe there's someone, a friend, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Who's like, okay, I can help you with this. (laughs) We can do it together. Um, and that's a way to actually step into the kitchen, um, or maybe invite people over. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then you're like, oh, I'm putting this effort in and it's actually going to feed like a group of people that I care for. So that's, you know, that those are some ideas that come to mind.
1: I love the chef's helper. And my mom, she was big on the chef's helper. She was big. She was an amazing cook, but also one of those people who always had these like little, little secrets, like, like the, you know, the pre-cut onions, or even sometimes she would buy pre-cut and frozen onions and peppers just to be able to take it out. You just take a little bit out of the freezer, you put that in the pan, and then that's your bit the beginning of your um, dish, and I I learned that from her. I haven't been able to implement it to the best of my ability, but I'm I'm I feel encouraged by this conversation. Actually, I feel I feel inspired. Um, so one of the other questions I had is about whole foods versus processed ingredients, and I think that this is one of those topics where I think the wellness industrial complex, as you referred to it correctly, you know, I think this is one of those things that they talk about that is important, but it's just in the midst of so much misinformation that I think people, I mean, like, is it wrong to say anything in a box or a package is like processed versus whole foods, like vegetables and fruit, or is that too simplistic a way to look at it? How should we be thinking through about the what kinds of ingredients to use?
0: I really love that question. And this is the answer that I often give Um, And I always preface it by saying I'm going to give an answer that's not going to be neatly tied up in a bow and questions will remain (laughs) because this is a full nuance when we're talking about process versus unprocessed versus ultra process. There's so much nuance here. And I'll put this kind of in the forefront. So there are plenty of people that drink dairy alternatives, almond milk, soy milk, cashew milk, whatever. In theory, people believe that those things are healthy, right? That's what we've been told. However, if you look at some food rating, like categorization, those things come up as ultra processed. Here's another one. People say protein powders. Well, that's a great way to get protein in. And there's space for protein powders for people who want to incorporate that into their pattern of eating. Believe it or not, those things come up also as ultra processed meat analogs, vegan proteins. There are people who utilize those and those come up also as ultra processed. And so that's why I say that there are questions that will be unanswered because for people who want the non-dairy alternative and for people who want to use a protein powder for whatever reason, and for people that want that, you know, meat alternative, there is a space and place for them in their pattern of eating, but they are Ultra processed according to some food rating guidelines. Now, to things that you know we think of as conventionally processed versus unprocessed, what I say to people is: anytime you've left the farm or the orchard or the vineyard and you remove whatever piece of produce it is from the, the vine or pull it from the root, or you know, you've got that milk out of the cow, or you slaughter that meat, that's a form of processing right so when we say minimally processed or in its whole form we're talking about things like apples in their whole form apple sauce is another le- level of processing if you add sugar to that that's another level of processing you see so there's so much nuance in here because i may modify a recipe for someone who's trying to think about increasing their fiber and reducing their sugar intake, their added sugar intake and say, you know what? I want you to take applesauce and put that into your recipe. Yes, applesauce is processed. However, we're trying to play with the ingredients to change the outcome of that base food. Mm. So I do think it becomes complicated when we do that black or white, all or nothing. Also canned beans, boxed pasta, rice, dry beans, all of those things are processed. Breakfast cereal, right? That I had this conversation with a colleague of mine who's an NP the other day, a nurse practitioner. And I said, I wish that people would stop demonizing cereal. And I I, wish that- Oh my goodness.
1: I literally went through this whole phase last year where I was like, I don't think I can eat cereal anymore. And I stopped. In the beginning of the pandemic, that was like one of my like small little like moments in the morning when I'd have some cereal and- then I, I I just kept reading, it was, cereal's so bad, it's the worst thing in the grocery store. So then I stopped.
0: <laughs> but it's absolutely not. Here's the thing that's interesting. If you have a cup of cereal, and it's ap- most of them are fortified, you're actually getting vitamins and minerals, and you can have it with whatever liquid you want, milk or non-dairy milk or yogurt, and if you add a little bit of fruit or not, it's a totally fine way to start your day. Yeah. And that's the thing that it's like, we get so muddied up in these extremes that, you know, people become just like you, fearful from actually eating. And you said to me, that's amazing. It was something that gave you pleasure. So you were reading something, we're in the middle of a scary moment. And then your reaction is to stop eating the thing that was giving you pleasure in a frightful moment. Well, we've created harm. Right. So that's why, you know, I say sometimes wellness, we do more harm than good.
1: I mean, I really believe that because honestly, food is something that people should enjoy. Like, And this is why the meal prep uh, stuff always kind of it never looks good for me. You know, like nothing Mm -hmm. that anybody's meal prepping in the same shape container with their rice and their vegetables and their chicken. Like that never looks delicious. I never want to have that more than one day. And when I've try- attempted to duplicate that, I'm always sick of whatever I've made, no matter how good it is, by the third day, definitely by the third day. And I throw out the rest of the meal prep and I feel like it's just too regimented. And like we no one really like has all of the answers. Right. I mean, even as dietitians, people have different opinions on on recipes. And I think the point of this book is to sort of expand our definition of what's healthy because we are we're too limited i mean food should be you should enjoy be able to enjoy food you only live one time
0: (laughs) yes yes and that's the truth um we need to make a shirt that says that enjoy your food because you only live one time
1: time. how are you gonna you turn telling me one you're gonna spend your one life eating grilled (laughs) chicken and broccoli that is so sad that makes me so sad
0: Thank you. Oh my goodness. One hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I fully agree. I sign off. cosine, sign <laughs>
1: Um so so tell us more about the recipes um in this book. What is your favorite recipe in the book? If you if you can pick a favorite.
0: Yeah. So I actually would pick a favorite section and it's seafood. I am a major seafood lover. Um, and I, I I mean, I love all the recipes, but I think all of the seafood recipes, like those are the ones that I would actually batch cook so that there's enough for the next day. Like you, I don't meal prep. Um, it just doesn't work for me, but I do cook a little more so that like, if I have a dinner, I have some for lunch because then I'm like, Oh, it's two meals and I don't have to commit for the entire week. Um, and those recipes are very batch cookable. And there's they, those also go all over the globe. There's, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but there's some like seafood kind of stews that are just like, mm, mm, mm. and there's some Haitian dishes that have some seafood that are also delicious. Um, yeah. So the seafood section is hands down my favorite. It's also super nutritious, but I mean, but at the top of the list, it's just tasty food.
1: I, I love tasty food, but if it's nutritious, that's just like an added bonus. I don't require it, but it's also <laughs> I don't require it for every meal. I mean I think one of the one of the good pieces of advice um, that most most dietitians would give is like everything in moderation. So it's not depriving yourself because that's not sustainable. I just think that like when people are like, I can only have the, these categories of foods and I cannot have sugar or no ice cream. Um, you know that just feels well one it feels sad but also it feels like that's not sustainable over the long term isn't that the goal like are, you want to be able to set goals with your food or maybe not set any goals just say when I want ice cream I'm going to have a little but not mm-hmm. the whole pint
0: yeah I mean I like to talk to people about food neutrality meaning that we don't assign a hierarchy so it, this is not good and this is not bad and what we do aim to do is create a pattern of eating that allows for a multitude of flavors in from the things that have the sugar, the fat, and the salt to the things that don't, but that what we're focused on is the the patterns that you engage in the majority of the time. So if the majority of the time you're eating things that have higher amounts of those additives, the sugar, fat, and salt, then we expect different outcomes for your health. But if the majority of the time, you know what I mean, those things are not at the center of the plate, then we expect right, less metabolic dysfunction. And so I talk like that because I know the majority of the people in this country and, and like even you know, your listeners, we have a lot of diabetes. We have a lot of mm-hmm. cardiovascular disease. We have a lot of hypertension. And so we do have to pay attention to those additives. There's absolutely a place for them, not at the center all the time. And so when we're creating a food life, right? Or a food pattern, it's like make space for it and make space for also the other part where you're getting you know some of your vegetables and you're getting some grains and you're getting some beans and nuts and seeds so that it's more like a fluid right as mm-hmm. opposed to that extreme
1: one of the other questions i had in the last few minutes here there's so much information everywhere i mean not just on the in the internet or on television or um in books but also in social media. I mean, I just started using TikTok a lot. There is so much information on TikTok. There's a lot of misinformation on TikTok right now mm-hmm. about diet. And one of the things I I saw recently that sort of like tripped me out is there was a whole thread of people talking about how we all have to add Himalayan salt to our water. Like if you just drink regular water, that's not actually hydrating you. And I like freaked out because I was like, is this true? And then I went down the rabbit hole and realized that that's like an overstatement. It's not actually true. You you actually have to you should get a blood test to find out if you are deficient in minerals. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. should add minerals to your water. But anyway, I was like, I'm drinking water wrong? Like what? And so, so I feel like the misinformation piece is also important in a moment like this. I mean, how should people process information they see online in terms of nutrition like how can they verify whether or not it's good information or not
0: yeah i appreciate that question and this is the first thing that i would actually say is believe it or not this is where you have to go back to your health care provider and if you don't have a primary care provider this is where you seek one out mm-hmm. right because you're right there are people who are credentialed people who are not credentialed and the misinformation and the disinformation is sometimes not rooted in evidence and it's also rooted in opinion. Um and there's plenty of studies out there that are not strong and people don't know how to read research. So someone might publish an animal study, like animals, we're not animals, we're humans, and then they go out and they give information to the public based on an animal study. So this is really where I say to people when you're looking at TikTok, you're looking at Instagram, you know, like take all of it, no pun intended, with a grain of salt, and don't just believe it at face value at all. Check it with like, you know, a trusted credential provider, someone that you've been working with for a while, like take those questions to your primary care doctor, you know, seriously, write them a message that many of these portals, you know, with health systems are open, write them that message and say, what is this? Do I need to do this? Because more often than not, it is harmful information that's being put out there
1: it's a really important point verify the information that you are seeing on social media you know if somebody is telling you it's all or nothing uh definitely double check that because as we have discussed this morning um it's not it's not all or nothing and i love that we've now expanded our minds in terms of what healthy eating looks like the book is eating from our roots 80 plus healthy home cooked favorites from cultures around the world a cookbook by Maya Fela, registered dietitian and nutritionist. Thank you so much for being here this morning. It was
0: so great to chat. Lelena, thank you so much for having me. I wish you a fantastic day. Thank you. Please stay safe.
1: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Lelena. Check in for new episodes every weekday.